And how many people are ready for the word today? We are in a series right now called Living with Power. Living with Power. And the anchor verse for the series is Ephesians 3.20. We serve a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think or ask according to the power that works in us. I really want to help people get a revelation, get an understanding of the power that's available to you as a son or daughter of Christ to live in, to walk in, in your life. We live in a natural world and environment, but praise God, if we understand our sonship, we are heirs to a heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of a different realm. Therefore, our rights, our privileges, our authority come not from this world, but from a higher world, a higher realm that we serve and that we're a part of. But people walk through life, living through life, and and they're in the world, but they actually sort of live according to the limitations of the natural environment instead of according to heaven's environment and what God says about what we have. So it's just, let's get a revelation about the power that works in us, the Holy Spirit living in us, the same power, John, that raised Jesus from the dead, lives and dwells in you and in you and in you and in me. That's crazy, but amazing. If the power that could resurrect Jesus from the grave, that would become the first fruits of the resurrection that we would all participate in, lives and dwells in us right now, what does that mean, folks? What does that imply about what is available to us, the authority that we have in our lives? We kicked this series off a couple weeks ago on Pentecost weekend, celebrating Pentecost in the church. We know that on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had resurrected, some 40 days later, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit came and blew as a mighty and rushing wind. And I heard the Spirit of God say to me, in prayer and in preparation and meditation for this series, I heard the Spirit of God say, I want to blow, Pastor Guy mentioned this earlier, I want to blow like a refreshing wind over my people during this time. That there are people who have an agitated spirit. They're restless They don't have a sound mind. They don't have a calm spirit. And the Lord says that we are to have a gentle spirit. We're to have a sound mind. But in many cases, I meet and talk with people all the time. uh, They're very restless. They're agitated. They're uneasy about life and the things that are coming at them. And they're really struggling to handle all of this well. And I know it's challenging. I know it's difficult. So many things happening. But listen to me, please, as your pastor. You are meant to have a sound mind, a clear mind of peace and a gentleness in your soul and spirit at all times so that you're not restless and agitated about these things that are coming at you that you're dealing with. I pray that the Lord would blow like a mighty and rushing wind, but a refreshing and calming wind over people during this time. If he wanted to do that, I just want to ask you, would that be okay with you? Would that be okay with you. So we're going to dig in today in, uh, what is this? Uh, Part three. Thank you, Pastor Guy. Part three of our series, Living with Power. And let's begin by reading in Ephesians chapter two. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, but God, aren't you thankful for but God? <laughs> you get the idea, it's a prepositional phrase linking two parts of a sentence together. The first part insinuates death, it insinuates the the, the reign of the prince of the power of the air and the implications there. This is a reality. We're in a spiritual war. There is a devil. He is against you. These things are all reality. But God, and he says this, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Notice he says that twice in these verses, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Some powerful verses right there. You are saved by grace through faith. Church, I want to tell you today, talking about a year of growth, I want to tell you today that a revelation of God's grace in and over your life is absolutely necessary to growing into the fullness of your spiritual maturity. Understanding the grace of God and what it means in our lives every single day is paramount to growing and maturing in our spiritual journey. The title of the message today is Living Under the Power of Grace. Living Under the Power of Grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you, God, move in this place today. Holy Spirit, take the room. Take the room. As the senior leader of this house, God, I declare you have full reign. You have full permission. You are permitted here to do whatever you want to do, Lord. I pray that you would pull on the hearts of the people that they would enthrone you in their heart today as well and permit you to do whatever you want in their own heart and in their own life as well, Lord. I come against any distracting spirit right now in the name of Jesus, any distracting or tormenting spirit that would be pulling at people, trying to prevent them from receiving the implanted word of God. We bind you in Jesus' name. Spirit of distraction, spirit of fear, you have no place here. You're not permitted to operate here in the name of Jesus. 
take a knee and bow to the authority of the name that is above every other name. We ask you, Lord, that you would move in churches right now in our, in our area, in our community, and in our region. God, I pray that there would be an outpouring of your spirit, not just in this house, but in houses all over our region, Lord. That there would be an uprising in your church, in the church, the body of Christ at large. God, that you would make us unified in our efforts to seek you, to serve you, and to share you with the world around us, Lord. May you be glorified in all things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. I think we're off to a good start here today. huh? The power of or living under the power of grace. Let's start by getting a definition of grace, okay? A biblical definition. It is one of those words that you hear so often that sometimes we get numb to. We just kind of move on. Grace, faith, things like this. We need a good, deep understanding of just like we do other things that we maybe don't hear about as often. But grace is substantial. Grace, according to the definition in the Bible, is God's unmerited and undeserved favor. It is the supernatural ability that is, and listen to this, imparted. Other places in the Bible it says imputed, okay, which means to just pass through by the power and authority of another source, not of our own. He says it is a supernatural ability that is imparted to us and makes something possible that was otherwise impossible. I've heard other theologians say this, and I like this definition as well. Grace, or mercy, is God not giving us what we deserve, and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. The word grace in the Greek, it's a word charis or charis, it's actually where we get the English word charisma from. And it's interesting because even in the English dictionary, the word charisma means to have sort of like an attraction, a draw, something that is of, of favor that people are pulled to. And I think that it's not so far off from the biblical definition because when God's grace is operational, let me say that again, operational in our lives, there is a favor, there is a draw, there is an attractiveness to what is going on and what is happening that we could never do or create on our own, right? We're just, you could say it this way, we are not good enough to even compete with the effects and the, the outcome that God's grace can accomplish in and through our lives if it's allowed to operate. A.W. Tozer says it this way, grace operates in a sphere where human merit cannot enter. You getting that? Grace, it's something supernatural. It's something that's imputed or just passes through to us that makes something possible that otherwise was impossible before. And Paul opens up in these verses in chapter 2, and he says a couple of times as we read, you are saved by grace through faith, not of your works, right? And so the first point, and I just I want to show you how when you look at grace, this isn't necessarily the, the only way to look at it, but I want to draw two ways for you to look at that have been really important and helpful for me in my life and my journey. And it's number one is the saving grace of God, which Paul speaks about when he says you've been saved by grace, right? The saving grace of God, which speaks of righteousness with God that we have because of his grace. His grace makes us righteous. What does righteousness mean in this situation, it means right standing with God. 
So man's born into this world in sin. We know the Bible says that there are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know what your theology supports, but mine says that every person who's born into this world enters into the condition of sin. We are in need of a savior. We need something to happen to restore us back to a place of righteousness or right standing and relationship with God. That's through the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in that, it's God's grace that passes through to us and then we are saved. We are born again and filled with the Spirit of God. As he says, you were dead before, and now you're alive. And that's because of grace. That's because of grace. He, you you got to see that we have to understand our own depravity without God's grace. That we are lost, that we're sinners. We have no solution. Our works can never get us there. That's so why he says, you can't get saved by doing a bunch of good things. Our works can never get us there. It's when we really understand the depravity of sin that we can really be appreciative and desperate for our need for God's grace. I can't earn it, but it's freely available. Thank God I have it, and I'm going to put my faith in that today. Here's what happens. People go around, and they, they get this false sense that somehow they're earning their relationship with God. They're earning their right standing. Their works and what they do and all their good deeds somehow make them measure up or account for being worthy of God's love and a relationship with God. And the problem with that is, is that we can never measure up. When we're operating out of this place of this works mentality, look, listen to me, we are always working towards something, but grace implies that we could be working from something. Does that make sense? You're working for works. It's works actually leads to condemnation because you can never do enough. You, you're, you're always going to end up falling short somewhere, but grace leads to conviction. You do not have to convince or motivate a man or a woman who has an understanding of grace that they need to do good works <laughs> because they're so overwhelmed by their understanding of grace that they are compelled in their heart to do good works for the one who has saved them by grace. Hallelujah. Saving grace. It is the thing that rescues our soul. And so when we understand this, one of the things that ought to happen is that we stop doing what many people do, which is comparing our good deeds to others. Well, that person is doing really, really good. I'm not measuring up to that person. They're, ho they're holier than me. Or I'm doing better than that person. Oh, praise God, I'm better off than them, right? That is a very unhealthy thing in to get into. When we understand grace, this is what we say, none of us are worthy. <laughs> They're, they're really, it just eradicates this sense of even trying to compare our good deeds with others. Let's just rejoice and celebrate all the good things that God is doing in all of our lives because none of us are worthy, but praise God, we're living according to His grace. He says that you are saved by grace through faith. Now, I want to teach you something. This is a teaching point right here that's really important, okay? And in order to, to dig into this, you would have to study the grammatical structure of the sentence and really dig into it, um, and I did. So 
in the sentence, he says, you're saved by grace through faith. Okay, through faith is a prepositional phrase. It's a little word in the Greek called dia or dia, D-I-A. It's where we get the English word diameter from. It means that it bridges or connects two things together. Okay, so if you picked your circle, you got a point here and a point here, and you draw a line across, that's the diameter of the circle, right? All of our math majors. And so that is where we get diameter. It's connecting one point to the other. Dia, dia. So here's what I see. He says, you've been saved by grace. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's free. God's gift to you. And saved by grace through faith. Faith is the bridge to grace. Say it this way. Faith precedes grace. Okay? So look at it like this. The grace of God abounds all around us. It's everywhere. Surrounding us. It's available. The potential is always there. But in order for the grace to go from the potential of abounding around us to actually being released and becoming operational in our lives, there has to be faith. Think of it this way, saving grace. We have to believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he died for us, that we're sinners and dead without him, and that he is the way to life and the only way. When we believe that and put our faith in that, then the grace that's freely available to all mankind is then released personally in our lives. You could say that that grace is then appropriated in the life of that individual. It says the song Amazing Grace says, and I love this verse, Oh, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. When we believe and we put our faith in the word of God and in a promise of God, then grace is released into our lives and becomes operational. And the thing that was impossible to happen without it now becomes possible. Take you on a little, a little progressive journey through Scripture. It's called systematic theology where you, you see the sequence of things all through Scripture. Okay, we're saying we're saved by grace through faith. So grace is released and we're saved. We'll back up before that. Here's faith. We believe. But listen, even before that, what does it say? It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we hear the Word of God and then faith is birthed in us. And then once there's faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So it's something supernatural, folks, I just got to tell you. That when we hear the word, the living word of God, that there is a revelation by the person of the Holy Spirit that unveils something to us. And we say, I believe that. And then God says, well, I'm going to birth faith in that person. There's going to be a supernatural event. They're going to have faith that's going to be birthed in them. And that's now going to be of substance in their spirit. They can stand on that. They can get leverage on that. And when they have faith for what I just said, then according to my word, I'm going to release grace into their lives, which is my power and favor to make something happen that is absolutely impossible for them to do without. (sighs) 
If grace is dynamite, then faith is the fuse. <laughs> One more illustration. We could say, thinking about grace, is just abounding all over, right? But it must be appropriated in each of our lives individually. We could say that there is power and electricity that is flowing into this building right now, this very moment that we speak. We know that because we see all the lights on, right? But what if I did this? Now, young couples, just keep your hands to yourself right now, okay? <laughs> what if I did this? Now, if I were to tell you now, oh, the lights are off, so there is no power in this building. You would say, well, that's not true. The switch is just off. But if we flip the switch back on, there the lights are again. But what's interesting is that power never stopped running to this building. Never stopped being available. It just took a flip of a switch to activate it and bring expression to it. What I'm trying to say is grace It's all over you, all around you. The Bible says the grace of God abounds, surrounds us everywhere at all times. But our faith is the switch. It's the trigger that activates the release of God's grace so that it is then appropriated and becomes operational in our lives. And then we live according to things that could never be possible in our own strength. Saving grace is one of them. But the second point that I want to bring you to today that I want you to see is what I call empowering grace. Empowering grace. He says you're created for good works, good deeds, a calling, a life of purpose and things for me. Right. To walk in and to carry out. Righteousness, I spoke about that a minute ago, that it means right standing with God. But listen to this. Righteousness also means, all throughout the Bible, right living. So think about that. You have right standing, which is identity and relationship. But you have right living, which is works and deeds. So we just said, you're not saved by that. You can't earn anything by that. That's true. But he also says in the same context of verses, but you're created for good works. You're created to do good deeds. You're created to follow and obey the word of God and live out his authority in your life. Interesting. But what I want to point out to you is that just like grace is needed for saving grace, for righteousness by way of right standing, then grace and faith are also needed for right living and righteousness according to the things God calls us to do. Does that make sense? Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And he's speaking about the fruits of the Spirit and different things here, but this is really powerful because he's saying, as you've been made alive by grace, 
then you must also walk and do the things God's called you to do, not by your own strength, but by grace. And so we'll go back to by faith or by grace through faith, and we can make the same conclusion. In order for me to live the way God's called me to live, to obey his principles and precepts, to resist temptation and sin, to see supernatural works flowing out of my life, in order for all of that to happen, right living, then I need a flow, a constant flow of the grace, the unmerited favor and power and ability of God running into and through my life at all times to remain operational. And in order for that to happen, I have to remain in faith, believing God has it available, wants to give it to me, and he will give it to me as I walk according to faith in what he's called me to do. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, by, great, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So let's break this down and simplify this. Here's what he's saying. I am who I am by the grace of God. Righteousness, right standing. You get that? I am who I am. I'm saved. I'm a son of God, a daughter of God by grace. <laughs> but he also says, and I'll paraphrase, he says, and I do what I do by the grace of God. I am who I am, right relationship, identity, and I do what I do by the grace of God, right living, calling, purpose, things that I'm walking out in my life. In order for us to know that, we have to have faith for what God is speaking to us in his word, what he's calling us to do. We have to believe that we are who it says we are, that we have what it says we have, and that we can do what it says that we can do. You understand? I'm not talking about a faith that's just like this empty thing that's like, well, you know, I don't really know. I just like throw up these prayers. No, your, your faith has to have substance. It's, it's got to be birthed in you, which means it has to originate from the, the truth of the word of God. You get a revelation, you believe, then there's faith there, and then you can live or get leverage off of that faith. And then as, as goes faith, then so goes grace in your life to be released into the things that you're doing and you will see and you will know that the outcome is absolutely positively nothing you could ever do on your own that would compare to that. God says that's the way that I want your life to look. That there are things happening by my grace that would be impossible for you to achieve or attain on your own. Peter says it like this. He says, I pray that all of you would grow in grace. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's like grow in grace. Like we have grace. What's the deal? He's talking about getting greater understanding and revelation of all that's available to you, living by faith according to that, and seeing increased measure and release of God's empowering grace in your life to do the things that you cannot do on your own. Peter says, I pray that you grow in grace. 
My prayer today is for every one of us that we would grow in grace, that we would mature in our understanding of who God says we are and what we can do, and then we would walk in that, that grace would be appropriated in our daily lives to accomplish all that he has called us to do, something we can never do without the flow of his grace. And the last thing that I want to say about what this grace makes possible for us, and I know for a lot of folks that this is kind of a big one, is that grace makes it possible to rule over sin in our lives. Right? Because here's the deal. Every one of us. And it might look different for all of us. It does. But the enemy knows how to serve temptation. Doesn't he? Once you're here, once you're there, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're not looking, hit you in your blind spot. He knows. Those are temptations. When we harbor those, they have the potential to become full-blown sin in our lives. And then sin that stays leads to destruction. But we have an antidote. We have a solution. You've been saved by grace. You've been saved out of the clutches of sin, he says. And I'm going to read to you in just a second. But you also, by grace, have the power to rule over that doggone thing in your life every time it tries to get its head in there. And by grace, you run it out and you run it off. Every time it threatens to break down the integrity of your life and living according to the principles of God. This, this is uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, offense, or for by one man's offense, death reigned, he's speaking of Adam in the fall, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Through the one Jesus Christ. Reign in life. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law. But you are under grace. Grace can rule over sin. In our lives. But listen to me. Sin cannot be ruled without grace. Say that one more time. Grace can rule over sin in our lives, but sin cannot be ruled without grace. You want to run that dog out every time he comes? You need grace. God's power, his ability. Have you figured out, like I figured out, that my flesh is not strong enough? Anybody else figure that out? I'm just going to have the willpower. I'm just going to I'm just going to have the strength. I'm just going to do it in, you know, I'm just going to do this. Maybe once or twice you might kind of get but long term it never gets the job done. We need grace for that. In order to have grace, we have to have faith in the words that I just read you. God says, "By my grace, you can reign over sin. You can run that thing out and run it off." So that it, is, it does not continue to produce destruction in your life. I'm here to tell you folks today that grace is the unmerited, undeserved power 
and ability of God that will pass through to you by faith to be who God's called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. We need grace. We are dependent upon that. And God makes it freely available. He says it abounds for every good work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It abounds for every good work that God has called us to do. And I'll close with this question. Have you ever said or heard this phrase maybe before? Um, maybe you've heard somebody say to you, you just need to give me some grace. You ever heard that? Or maybe you've said that to somebody before. Hey, can you just give me some grace right now? Let's kind of finish this theology with this today. Sometimes it's easy for us to receive it, but it's a lot harder for us to give it. And uh, Jesus said, freely you've received. Freely give. He said, you reap what you sow. And I just, I wonder today if maybe if there's somebody here who realizes how much they need grace, but in some area of their lives, they've been unwilling to extend that. And I don't know about you, but from what I just read and understood, I don't get it because I deserve it. I get it because he loves me. So if God says, freely you've received, freely give, I just want to challenge you to, to really live under the power of grace. We have to know and believe what's available to us, but we have to extend it as well.